Hello and welcome to the Future of Australia podcast. Here I interview the entrepreneurs running the fastest growing businesses in Australia. These interviews will be around the themes of entrepreneurship, new ideas, business, innovation, capitalism and successful enterprise being the motor that will drive Australia forward. I will be telling the stories of the people who are making it possible and as they grow and strive further will become a bigger and bigger part of Australia's future. My name is Derek Stewart, your host and the founder of Future of Australia. Check us out at futureofaustralia.com to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter, get exclusive content and ensure you never miss an episode. For questions or comments, email me at derek, D-E-R-E-K, at futureofaustralia.com or you can call or text me on 0404-689-897. Welcome to episode 18 of the Future of Australia podcast. In this episode, I interview Gina Patrick, the co-founder and CEO of Plus Passive Fire, a consulting, audit, and certification firm ensuring new buildings meet the highest passive fire protection standards. We discuss how she leveraged her deep experience in professional services to create their vision of ethical, value-based, innovative and technology-driven construction consulting. Bringing this model to an industry that strongly resisted and how their seemingly strange approach soon began to win awards and set a new standard in the industry how they grew rapidly into a 2 million plus annual revenue business and became one of the fastest growing new businesses in Australia. If you are looking for passive fire building compliance and advisory services, check out pluspassivefire.com.au. That's P-L-U-S-P-A-S-S-I-V-E-F-I-R-E.com.au. So I'm here with Gina Patrick, the founder and director of Plus Passive Fire. Welcome to the podcast, Gina. Thank you. It's all nice right. to be here. That's good. So can you describe what were you doing before you started Plus Passive Fire? What did you study? What types of companies or, or roles did you work in before? Yeah, so I, um, my background is in accounting. That's where I, um, what I trained in at university um, in, in business and accounting. So from there, I have been over the years advisor to a number of different businesses. So anything from primary or farmers through to um, development companies, manufacturing companies. So a full gamut, a full range of businesses through um, my advising over the years. So. And I've always enjoyed business and, you know, always um, loved business, but often as an advisor, you didn't have enough control. So that that um, sort of was something that I didn't enjoy so much, but I did in, enjoy the business portion of it. So, but yeah, that's, that's what my background is. So. so sort of working in professional services with those type of clients and doing sort that's of right. financial advisory and accounting... Um, advice yeah, to those right. clients. Exactly. So, so all, all around advice. So, starting with accounting, strategic accounting, and in in, in um, later years, just before um, starting Plus Passive Fire, I was a, a virtual CFO. So, mm-hmm. a CFO for a number of um, businesses, predominantly IT businesses. Um, and um, yeah, so that's sort of what I was doing when I um, started Plus Passive Fire with Peter, my co-director. 
Okay. And, and what made you... Yeah, yeah so I was just going to say, so what made you make that sort of switch? So you work in the business world, you're advising all these diverse, interesting clients um, and then what uh, motivated you to make the, the uh, switch to start your own business? Well, I suppose um, Peter was um, finishing up where he was, sort of in construction and in passive fire. He'd um, been in there for a in the industry for a couple of years um, and we were just talking about what we might do for the next 10 years or so, <laughs> um, what we enjoyed doing. We just were constantly talking about business because that's what I was doing. Um, he wanted to do what I was doing but I sort of was more interested in actually starting a business and growing a business. So that's pretty much how we came together and, and started Plus Passive Fire. So we just sort of um, drew on everything we both knew and um, away we went. Okay. So, yeah. And did you ever consider running your own um, accounting firm or financial advisory sort of practice or building up that existing business or you're really ready for something different? Look, I have done that in the past. I operated an accounting practice in Mackay in North Queensland for about seven years mm-hmm. and um, that was great through um, my mid-20s to early 30s. And I sold that business um, sort of looking for something different. I really didn't sort of – I really wanted to sort of be doing – driving something bigger So um, at that point in time. So that's sort of where I went. And um, I started to sort of work with a few bigger organisations as their CFO, um, both in banking and in manufacturing and in mining. So I did that for a few years. Yeah, which sort of gave me a good grounding in a lot of different areas um, that you don't normally see unless you're actually working in a business. So, uh, so yeah, that's. um, I think I answered your question there. Yeah, no, that's that's really uh, (laughs) that was good. Um, So I find quite a lot of people that come up through the accounting, finance, sort of CFO path often eventually make their way to sort of being a a CEO or equivalent sort of running a company but they rarely start their own companies and some people say they kind of they know the risks and the numbers a bit too well that it sort of terrifies them sometimes but did you have any hesitation starting out a a, a different business and outside of what you were doing and and starting from scratch? Yeah look that that had um that was sort of what made me not going to business again since my mid-30s um, for a long time because uh, I, pr- I probably thought that I'd rather be heading up something bigger, similarly um, to what you just said. But having um, two very passionate people like myself and Peter uh, around the table um, made me feel that we could really drive something big and be in control of it and um, so that sort of got very exciting and and that's what we, we did and we set out to do um, and we, we both felt that we had a lot more um, to offer in this industry. I had My background was actually transferable into passive fire, into consulting in that area mm-hmm. So um, and, and the industry was quite... Um, how does that? Not as educated mm-hmm. um, in consulting in the consulting area. So, having brought some of my, I suppose, um, background from financial services, like driving value pricing and things like that, was pro- 
probably has probably helped us along the way as well as Peter's absolute passion and ability to get clients and make sales and you know keep um, keep good clients with good long lasting relationships. So, and that's um, some of the keys that we knew would be be good to build the business on. So. Yeah, some of the foundations. Mm. And what was that first 12 months like? You make the decision, you've committed, you've got Pete, you've each got your own background and skill set, you've got the vision for the big future and what you want. What was the, how did that compare to sort of the reality of the first sort of 12 months out there on your own? Uh, yeah, well, we, um, we had some really tough times. I mean, we are partners in life as well. So we um, had to... Um, face that challenge of dividing up what we were good at and getting our roles identified specifically and not crossing those paths. <laughs> so <laughs> that was quite difficult. We had a lot of um, heated discussions. Um, we were self-funded, so, um, you know, at times it's been a little bit tight, but if there's anything I've learnt, um, I, I sort of don't underestimate um, our ability to sort of get work when we need it mm-hmm. and we just get on the phone and we get the work mm. and we we always worked on the basis of we're going to have full-time employees we're not going to be um, getting contractors which is pretty typical in the industry we wanted to have long-term people that we could train and grow with us so we've worked on that basis um, it's been tough I suppose sort of trying to um, work out who was going to to be able to grow with us. Um, some of the old contacts from the past haven't been, whilst they were qualified, um, not necessarily the people that we needed in the business. So, um, you know, that, that's made some things tough. But, um, yeah, we've been purely cash flow funded. If we are having a, a tight week and we don't look like we're going to make pay next week, we, um, we get a job and we get 50% up front. <laughs> things like that. Yeah, so, and it's, it's those simple things, right, that make all the difference. And, and if you didn't have right. that finance background, you, you probably wouldn't be as disciplined on that. And that's how a lot of businesses end up in debt and then the pressure builds and it sort of uh, slowly suffocates them. That's right, yeah. So it, it's been tight at times, but we've, we've worked on um, good tight terms and, and getting good clients, um, a lot of networking, um, things like that. So, but yeah, yeah it's, um, it's been exciting the first 12 months. <laughs> nice. And, and so your company grew 27% last financial year and made the, the financial review 100 fast starters of the fastest growing new businesses and getting up close to 2 million in annual turnover. Um, mm-hmm. Was there something that drove this sort of rapid growth? Is something you changed or did differently as you built momentum and, and sort of uh, progressed? Yeah. Well, we, we've definitely identified a gap in, in the industry, and that is between um, the fire engineer, who generally is um, at a very high level of consulting in the early stages of a building. They don't really get on site, um, do any of the consulting on site. And then at the end of the line is the contractor who's uh, on site at the end of a build trying to patch up all the holes or um, or throughout the build trying to fix you know all the holes and you know, make sure that the walls are installed correctly and things like that. And in between those two, we've sort of identified that there is a need for um, someone else on site to provide advice around the trickier issues, um, 
assist with the training of the teams on site who are actually doing the installation. So I think identifying that gap has, has certainly given us a big growth boost. Um, we also decided early to get on a, um, a graduate engineer so he could actually research all of the products in the market, help us with cost analysis and things like that, um, and then support our on-site team t with all of the tricky questions that might come up on an hourly basis. So, um, so he's been amazing. And um, we also decided to get a marketing graduate in early. So um, we set Kate some targets on day one <laughs> and she beat those within half the time um, she reached those goals and has continued to do to do things so having her on board to to drive what we wanted to do in a marketing sense is, has been fantastic so I think they were they were great things to do early and I probably wouldn't have done them in the past because you always think down the track down the track we'll get some more expertise on but we we did that early this time around and I think it's paid off yeah, no, it's a very interesting approach. Like you're saying, sort of a real professional services almost model where, again, you're selling services, you're selling the value, the expertise, you're mm. finding the gap in a niche that you're going to sort of be become the expert in. Like you said, not just relying on contractors, employing people, building a bigger future team, you know, marketing and differentiating because I'm sure like mm. a lot of things it gets commoditized if you're just sort of a body for hire and, yeah, quite a real unique approach in taking that cross-industry perspective, mm. I think, to see a gap and then to fulfill that in a in a way that I'm sure isn't done very often in the sort of construction sector. Yeah, that's right. And we, um, I mean, commonly we're asked for what's our schedule of rates. Well, we don't just give out a schedule of rates. We, we do everything on a, a value pricing model or a fixed price um, based on, what type of advice we're advising, we're giving, um, you know, how tricky the issues are and, and that sort of thing. So we are sort of capitalising on the higher level stuff that um, typically Peter and um, Peter can do. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's that's been good as well rather than just everything's an hourly rate. Um, so that's given us the ability to employ um, engineers and marketing graduates um, early on, I think, so... Yeah, and I think, I mean, there are brand name law firms and accounting firms that are still keeping six-minute timesheets and, and billing in arrears. So the fact, obviously being small, you've got the flexibility and control, but even in the professional services um, area, I would say you're actually very progressive and, and forward-thinking to do upfront value-based pricing and sell on that and not sell on, on timesheets and rate sheets and grad one, two, three and sort of 30-day terms and that's Again, very cutting edge, even in the, the professional services world. Oh, good. Yeah, <laughs> we think we are. <laughs> All right. And so as you had this growth, obviously, like you said, you're sort of funding off your own equity and cash flow. Um, you're hiring these uh, people and sort of investing in their future potential and then you've got the growth and then obviously all the things that come with that, you know, the business and the money and the extra clients and deliverables. What was sort of the best and worst thing that happened as you suddenly um, grew? Um, well, I, I think one of the harder things, one of the worst things was, um, you know, dealing with some of um, the people that had been around since we started and were, we employed on the basis of their connection with Peter and um, 
their backgrounds and their qualifications, but may not have been the, the right people for the future of the business. Um, so I suppose just sort of getting our heads around who we needed in the business, and we've ended up with typically average age under 30. Um, so I think, you know, that that's what works for us. It's fast-paced. It's We're always doing something different and new, and my goodness, these young people have an innate knowledge <laughs> of technology and, and just better ways to do things. So, you know, and they're hungry to learn, and, and, and in this industry, it's all pretty new, so they've got to learn. So, I mean, that's been really, um, really fun to actually get some people and, and work with them and, and grow. Um, so I've really enjoyed that part of it. Um, that's that's sort of the, the good and the bad have been some of the, um, the um, people issues. But, um, yeah, look, it's also been great getting out there and being part of industry associations and doing a lot of networking. Um because nobody knows much about what we do, so we, we do a lot of talking and uh, meet some great people. So, yeah, so it, it's, it's been good all round. It's, we can't say we've had a bad time of it at all, really. So, yeah. Yeah, and just touch on that point, like you're saying with the people, where you had people who uh, you already knew and, and Peter had worked with, um, but then they sort of didn't succeed in the way that you thought they did. Was that as the business changed or was that sort of right from the start? There were things that made them sort of not fit? Yeah, look, uh, look, great people and very, very good at what they did. Um, yeah, it was just more the change in the direction that we were heading in and, um, you know, we probably um, were getting away from the old ways of doing things and moving at a bit more faster paced. And, you know, we're, we're more high-tech. We're looking at technology more. And, and, and sometimes um, our generation has trouble um, sort of moving with that as fast. So, yeah, that, that's more the, the case, uh, more the point. So, yeah. So did you start with the idea of, again, being a um, value-first, you know, high-tech, sort of fast-moving company right from the start or did you sort of get bottlenecked in the old-fashioned traditional manual processes and and then as a solution kind of changed how you did things? No, we, we did pretty much say at the outset we're not going to start paperwork and then try and get it onto a system. We bought the system straight away or we got the system straight away so that was the accounting system, the job costing system, the the project management system. So we decided to do that straight up because we knew we'd need it and um, we need the cloud-based um, programs. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't going to start with desktop MyOB or anything like that and then try and change. We just started um, in the cloud and we're still, we're still using the same systems. We have grown in that we, we use all... Microsoft-based um, 365 products. We use Teams, we use Planner, we use all of that, and we, it's all very collaborative. So the guys all have their phones and just talk as if they're in the office on Teams. So you wouldn't know whether they're on the site or in the office, really, because we're all just talking in a group conversation um, a lot of the time. So, um, And it's been great for their training on site. If they have a question, they send a photo through and um, that sort of thing. So... That has sort of grown over the time, but we we did we did start out trying to get the right systems to begin with, instead of um, you know 
starting the old-fashioned ways and then doing it better later. Yeah, and was that built out of sort of the best practices you accumulated over your work experience? Was it sort of frustrations and the ability to actually make those sort of decisions that you couldn't have maybe made in larger companies you were in? Yeah, no, it was, it was born out of frustrations that we've experienced before, I'd say, um, and um, best practice that we've we've learnt over the years. Um, yeah, so... Um, yeah, sorry, what was that last video question? I missed that bit. Yeah, I mean, just sort of, I think you, you've answered it, like you said, it wasn't that you sort of learned all these excellent way to do, mm. ways to do things and then sort of copied it, it was sort of your frustration of how things should be done and finally yeah. having the ability to actually implement it all from day one and, and control that. Yes, and that, that was obviously, yes, key as well, having the control and knowing what we... We knew how we wanted to start, we knew what we had to do, and that's what we did. So that's made it a lot easier. There's still been a lot of um, a lot of growth and a lot of um, learning for both of us in a lot of different areas, but, yeah, no, we did set out to do it. Yeah, and definitely easier if you get those systems set up when you're small rather than uh, years later trying to migrate over, that's for sure. Mm. Mm, that's right, exactly. So you mentioned often, you know, you're filling a gap in the industry. How you do things is quite different. So you spend a lot of time educating, I imagine, you know, prospective customers and partners and suppliers and other people. How do you sort of describe in a few sentences sort of what you do to someone who maybe doesn't know you and then sort of how you're different and, and the ways you do things differently? Um, well... Trying to get that elevator pitch down pat to pass it far isn't an easy thing. Um, but yeah, since the Grenfell situation, it's been a lot easier because as soon as you mention that, they all go, ah, oh, we know what you do. Um, so whilst we don't deal with the cladding issues, which were typically Grenfell issues, there were a lot of issues within that building that relate to what we do. Um, so that's pretty much... You know, I can tell somebody in one minute now what we do as far as it might have taken me half an hour before and they'd still be glazing over. So, mm. um, yeah, so um, that that's a good starting conversation. Then it's, it's pretty much built on, you know, a construction background um, of, and we work with mainly new buildings. Um, yeah, so it's become a lot easier to to tell people what we do, but as far as the education of our clients, um, look, they know now they've, they've had reworks that cost them $100,000, hundreds of thousands of dollars because they haven't had their passive right in the buildings. And in Queensland, we're somewhat lucky because we have higher standards in the licensing than, we, than are in a lot of states. So we tend to have better standards on buildings and it's starting to catch up that we need to do things better. So people are getting caught out, builders are getting caught out, developers are having huge rework costs. So they're becoming, they, they are aware of a need and that's where we sell our third-party QA service um, where we just go to site. We start from the beginning. What are you going to put in this building? How's it going to, to work with the trades and train the trades on site um, and pretty much just go through the whole process of, throughout the building, inspecting um, each floor and, um, yeah, all of that. So if there any issues crop up, we're there as well. So it's pretty – it's getting easier to sell when people have issues like that. But, um, yeah, it's very costly to fix when they make mistakes. 
Yeah, so it's sort of it's something that may have been more difficult when it was more of a invisible problem. Now people can feel the pain, they've got the cost overruns, they've got the rework costs, they've got the risk, they've seen what can go wrong and the exposure and the compliance and so it's a lot easier to point to what you're actually solving. Exactly, that's right. Excellent. And you've won a number of awards, not just the Financial Review Fast Starters, but I saw for training and and industry, fire protection industry awards. Um, And it sounds like you had quite a clear vision from the start of what you wanted. Was there aspects of those other areas like training that you sort of had a a real mindset on how you wanted it done right from day one? Yes. Yes, we're very passionate about the training in the industry because – um, it, it's been done badly for a long time, the actual work, and that's because there's been no training. And um, even now, um, we're still trying, banging on every day about getting better training in the industry, what we can do to um, make that better. But a lot of it's just on-site and in-house for us. We um, have constant training sessions, but we are pushing them all of the guys to do some sort of development, um, 40% of them will be certifiers um, by the end of this year um, and we have something like 50% informal training uh, at the moment and um, 30% have been through trades and apprenticeships for um, plastering and carpentry. So we, we are constantly trying to get them to do some sort of training to um, – to get better at what they do, um, yeah. So that hence we were nominated for a train for the Queensland Training Awards, and we were a finalist in those awards. Um, with the Fire Protection Industry Award, well, I think you know having identified that gap in the industry between the contractors and the engineers, um, and the fact that um, we do focus a lot on training. Um, and that passive is becoming such a bigger issue, um, I think that's sort of um, where we've sort of gained some traction and um, sort of earned the award. So, hmm. Yeah, no, it's definitely... There's not, not been a lot of um, passive people um, recently um, in the, um, you know, sort of trying to make a, a, a big statement like, I think we have. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it sounds like an alignment of lots of different things. You know, you've, you've got the vision, you've got a level of professionalism and sort of business, you know, foresight and business management, like you said, even all the way down to sort of cash flow um, and, you know, the details as well as uh, philosophy on, on who you're going to hire, how you're going to train them, how you're going to sort of grow them and, and what standards you're going to hold everyone to and all those things in conjunction of obviously – um, you know, start to add up and make a huge difference compared to what everyone else is doing. Mm, yeah. Yep, that's fair. All right. So, so stepping back a little bit, um, you've worked with a lot of different businesses, both directly and I'm sure on the, the client side. What trends do you see in sort of entrepreneurship and, and new business uh, within Australia? You know, what are companies here doing well and, and maybe what are things where they still have room for improvement? Um. <clears throat> So I think as far as trends go, um, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for everyone now. It's not so difficult to move from one industry to another, financial services to construction, um, and apply a lot of the same principles. Um, 
Yeah, and I suppose the digital age has made it a lot easier and cheaper to to sort of learn more and, and um, you know, get yourself out there a lot more, I suppose, um, share information and that sort of thing. Um, I think the value pricing that we talked about before is a trend. Um, people, are, it's, it's actually, actually it's a, a lot of people just can't get their head around it, but especially in, in construction, it's still a schedule of rates sort of thing, but mm. we, we pretty much dig our heels in on that one. Um, and I suppose that's been somewhat satisfying, sort of changing people's perceptions and minds around accepting uh, what we do as value. Um, and adding value, um, but yeah, as well, the, the, the trend of being cloud-based, um, being collaborative in all your systems, I mean, that that's a great trend and um, you can get a system with everything in it now and you don't have to, you know, pay $50,000, you know, to get an ERP system or an enterprise system for your business. You, you don't need to go that far anymore. Um, it's a lot simpler to, to get yourself set up well to operate easily. Mm. Yeah, so. And so just on the, the value pricing, is that something, you know, you've been doing for the previous decade back when you were doing virtual CFO and, and finance and accounting sort of services or, again, was that one of those frustrations that you wanted to fix once you had the full control over it? Um, as a virtual CFO, yes, that was definitely something that uh, I was doing. Um, in, in the past... Before that, not so much, but it is becoming uh, a more accepted way in the accounting world because everybody's tired of charging by six-minute intervals. Um, so it, it is becoming a fixed pricing arrangement based on, you know, what value you can add. So mm. I think, you know, yeah, that is definitely a, a trend. But, yeah, it's um, not something that's been done for very long in my past and it's something I've learned probably about in the last 10 years, but... Um, really only applied it for the last five. So, yeah. And when you were getting that initial pushback, because like you said, people are so sort of shocked at it. We're in the construction industry um, trying to sort of convince them of that. Did you ever question yourself and think maybe it just doesn't translate to this industry or did you know no matter what that's how you were going to do it? Um, <clears throat> I think Peter questioned himself because he's from that <laughs> – um, that construction background more so where he it's been accepted for years and years and years that you just um, apply a schedule of rates. For me, listening to Peter talk on some of the technical topics and understanding what a wealth of knowledge he has, I, I just cannot accept um, a, you know, an hourly rate for something that nobody else can help with their problem. Um, and um, it's been 30 years of him growing this knowledge, so um, and it's now something that he can utilise very well in uh, for our clients. So I, I see the value a hell of a lot more than he does, and um, he he has pushed back at times. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we, we've we've stuck in there. Um, I just have to keep telling him how good he is. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, no, I truly believe that I, I can see that it is definitely a value that, that, we, that he um, has mm. and that, that we need to price accordingly. 
Yeah, and now you've gotten over that tipping point where you've got enough customers and people that yeah. sort of come in and, and they're not sort of as cold. Maybe if they've been referred, they already sort of have their expectations moved somewhat to uh, closer to where you're trying to get them. Yeah, that's right, exactly. So, yeah, and it's and it's an easy sell now. Mm. So, Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. So because the value, the, the cost of reworks is just is nowhere near. You know, have not having those reworks is a lot more value. Mm. So and, and anchoring that the the price of the service to the value that you're saving them, not to while well, this is you know the ballpark of what this person earns, and then we've got to make a margin. So this is our rate sheet, but here's what you're risking if you don't do it properly. Yes, absolutely right. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. So yep. looking. Mm-hmm. Looking back, sort of at all the different things that you've done and where you are now, if you were sort of sitting across from your eighteen or twenty-year-old self, what advice would you sort of give them about you know maybe career and the business world and and sort of um, yeah just work in general? Yeah, um, I got stacks stacks of um, advice for myself. Um, you don't underestimate the value of training. I mean, it's just a number of times. You know, I've um, myself thought, well, oh, do I really need to do that? I nearly didn't become a CPA or I nearly didn't become a tax agent. I nearly didn't do the company director's course. And every time I look back, I think, thank God I did um, because it's always been – there's always been a time when when you think it, it's been good value to have that. Um, setting goals. Often you can just set out business because it sounds fun. Um but you really need to set some goals and have a have a plan, and then you really need to, to measure and monitor um, how you're going with those goals because you know you can't actually change anything for the better unless you're actually doing that and monitoring uh, against what you want to, want to achieve. Um, the, the power of networking um, and industry associations and sort of getting yourself out there and participating. Um, in sponsoring events and being on committees and um, going on study tours and things like that, it really does help to to get you out there, to get you knowing who you need to know mm. and um, teaching you everything you need to know about an industry. Um, and don't probably persevere with things that aren't working. <laughs> if you know um, if you know something's not working, just move on um, and you know move on for the better. Um, so yeah, just hanging in there with with um, the old ways of doing things, it just holds you back. Was, was there something in particular that sort of stands out in your mind where you realise later you did something for five or ten years longer than you perhaps should have? Uh, well, probably um, um, in the past, um, you know, sort of trying to do things on the cheap and, you know, do manual systems rather than getting a, a good system, um, maybe persevering with with team members that you, you just know aren't right mm. um, when you, you, you probably should just move on for the betterment of everybody. If you know somebody's, you know, upsetting everybody in the team, just, just move on and, and uh, you know, make a decision. Um, and probably not to be intimidated by your competition. I, I was often... Um, thought, oh, they're doing better than me. Oh, they've done this. Oh, they've done that. But if you if you've got your mindset on something and you just go for it, 
they seem to fall by the wayside. Mm. <laughs> so it's not always the case, but it, 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 if you keep worrying about that, that'll that'll become your focus. So yeah, um, and you know, teamwork is key. Um, if you think that you can all operate in your own little corner, it just doesn't work. You really need to pull together, set group budgets, um, set group um, goals, and um, yeah, and, and work together as a team to achieve them. And, and most of all, probably, is trust your gut. There's so many times I've said, I wish I just trusted what I thought. <laughs> and um, I ne- now tend to say I'm not, I'm not doing anything else now except um, going with my gut. Yeah, so. which, which sort of ties back to the knowing when to cut something, right? Because in your gut, you probably think, should I stop doing this? Um, or is this, again, person, this product, this service, is this not working and, and sort of you're questioning your gut and sort of delaying uh, that, whereas your gut's telling you, like, you know, it's over. Right. <laughs> yeah. And another big one too I just thought of there was um, that perception of limited resources. I think when you're small and you're just starting out, you think, oh, I haven't got a lot of cash or I can't employ anybody else yet. So you tend to hold yourself back, whereas... Um, you somehow can always find the clients if you've really got that um, drive and passion. I think you can always find the clients and, you know, pay for that extra advertising, get that graduate on that you know you mm. need, um, you know, and talk abundance rather than sort of, you know, thinking that you won't have enough cash to pay their wages and that sort of thing. So I think that's probably been the biggest one for me. Okay, no, I think some excellent, excellent points there and, and great sort of reflections which also match the all these different sort of changes you've been able to implement. And so we've spoken quite a bit about, again, your mindset, the vision, the plan, the future, the growth. Um, what does the next 10 years look like for Plus Passive Fire? Um, well, we're, we're sort of looking at being um, a bit more innovative with products to help the industry, um, not so much labour-intensive ones um, for us and our people, but if we can create um, databases and create information that is available um, because I'm sort of constantly aware that um, some of this older knowledge is not going to be around forever and we need to capture that knowledge now and and sort of get it all down um, to have... um, I suppose, an ongoing income or a legacy um, for years to come. So it's just, yeah, we were always sort of trying to think of um, new products and ways that we can just sort of sell what we know and um, sell what we've gotten down with the team. And um, so apart from that, we, we sort of would love to change the culture in the construction industry. Um, it's just... You know, it's a, it's um, an industry that it, it's not always fun to work in. There's a lot of, um, oh, I don't know, thuggery for one of a better word for me. Um, it's, it's, you know, it, it's quite intimidating at times. People, you know, it's... Um, Is that between contractors on the same job or between competitors and developers bidding between jobs or at all levels or, you know, up and down the sort of hierarchy of command? Yeah, pretty much, um, you know, a contractor is at the bottom and here, here's a contract signed here. They don't know how to read it. They don't know what it means, but they'll sign it just to get the work. Um, 
you know. Um, yeah, so that sort of thing where people are pressured just to, to get paid, to mm. get their money that they're, you know, fairly due. There's that pressure to, um, you know, to sort of just sign everything they put under your nose and things like that. Well, you know, that's not fair and it's a, it's a terrible culture. So, um we, we don't stand for that sort of thing. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, and we'd like to see others. And we are seeing other younger people are quite different. And, you know, we talk about suicide in the construction industry and I'm sure that the culture has a lot to do with it. Mm. Um, so, but, yeah, and apart from that, we think maybe the future of um, Pacifier is about being a one-stop shop maybe with some other um, professionals in the construction industry. So, you know, that might be what we look at in the next couple of years. So aligning other sort of niche service offerings and, again, sort of knowledge-based offerings under that same philosophy and, and brand, that sort of thing? Yes, yes, yeah. So um, similar but different in um, consultants and um, professionals in the same in the same sort of industry where mm-hmm. we all need to use each other um, sort of thing to, to provide a complete service really. Mm. And, and when you mention products, um, do you have things in mind again like a sort of self-study video and, and sort of courses that you make or again apps or software or again database to look up things and, and verify yeah. and or a mix of both? All of that. Um, so we've got, we're looking at databases, we're looking at um, apps, we've already developed one app for the industry and um, yeah, so um, um, consulting services like a subscription service, mm-hmm. um, uh, technical query service, on-site service. If there's you know another person that needs help on site, we'll just um, attend to their needs within a certain time frame, um, just to help them out on site and things like that. So yeah, just products and, and paperwork and things that they can um, use in their business without needing one of us personally. So yes. templates and guides and all yes. those sort of things as well, yeah. Yes. Mm. Okay. And are you operating just in Queensland at the moment or are you already sort of have clients nationally? We do have clients nationally um, just for consulting work um, and and inspection work. Um, but, yeah, we haven't... Um, targeted it largely but we and, and training work of um, builders as well so I think that the southern states will be certainly um, lifting their game and getting better licensing and uh, stricter guidelines around passive in, in in the next year or two they've already started and mm. um, I think we've, in Queensland we've sort of been on the we've been around for a few years longer than the southern states so so yes there is a definitely a market in the other states, and we we certainly won't be saying no. Um, we've, we've put our feelers out, but we haven't done a great deal just yet, but um, probably will be. Yeah, and you're sort of you're cutting your teeth where it's hard, right? So where it's a bit easier and once you're Absolutely. already established, you're sort of ready to, to go from day one with all the uh, behind-the-scenes stuff as well and the systems you were talking about and the people already in place. That's right. That's exactly right. So, yeah. 
Okay, and so I think we've covered a lot of really good content. It's a really great story. Again, like you said, bringing your values and philosophy to the industry and upholding your standards and, um, you know, having a successful niche business in a, in a growth industry and obviously, like you said, with the potential to expand. Is there any final words or, or thoughts you'd like to leave the audience with? Um, <clears throat> no, no, I mean... Um mission is to educate and um, that's both internally and, and in the industry and um, we, we're really um, happy to have come where we've come from and um, to see what we've done so far and we've got a fantastic team that are on that journey with us so um, it's, it's all very exciting so yeah we'll continue to, to do more. Yeah, it's, it sounds like just the beginning of a, a really big journey. So congratulations on everything you've done so far and wish you the best of luck for the future. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks, Gina. Thank you for listening. I would really appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and leave a review. Better yet, tell a friend about it who you think may enjoy the content and get something useful out of it. Feedback, comments, likes or dislikes, you can reach me by emailing Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at futureofaustralia.com or you can call or text me on 0404 689 897. Thank you.